1: Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words heartland Aramaic forgiveness. If you choose to do that by the time you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, it contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon and Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We'll help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. You call that number and press 1. It will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, if you'd rather send an email, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get an email from you, a comment or question or testimonial, we'll address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so that you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or input. And we are grateful whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a lot easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. So, let us know what's on your mind how things are landing for you, what was your experience of our special guests on Friday, how are you tracking with the work we're doing trying to get through the way of mastery again, a second time, within three years, and... um, I should mention that tonight's a Tuesday, so there will be a support group tonight from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. All the information you would need to join is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And if you're going there, please remember there's a separate login info page for Tuesday and Thursday, separate IDs to join us through your Zoom account. And... We'd be grateful if you'd decide to join us, or if you want to forward that information along to somebody else that you think might benefit, um, we would appreciate it. So, the call-in number is 563-999-3581, and if you would be so kind as to call that number and press 1, it'll notify me that you want to have a conversation. The the thoughts I was having this morning as I was doing my prep for this is the idea of, in the way of mastery, how the entire way of the heart is based on making a shift from letting your intellect drive the bus and be your primary way of interacting with the world. And the shift is away from the intellect, not as something that's bad or wrong, but something that has a very limited use as a tool. And so making the shift away from that into questioning. And one of my favorite sets of writings about questioning comes from the poet Rilke, R-I-L-K-E, Rainier Maria Rilke. And he has a a book that was um, one of my favorite reads. And the book has to do with Letters to a Young Poet. And in that book, one of the things that I quote quite frequently is the idea that in the time when a mind can arrive at a really good question that same mind isn't capable of comprehending the answer to that question. That same mind needs to grow and expand and have life experiences and, as Rilke says, might then live along someday into an answer. But it can't demand an answer. It can't force itself to comprehend an answer instantaneously and the demanding an answer and trying to use the intellect to reason it all out is is the opposite of what the way of mastery is asking us to do in the way of the heart to my eye and ear it's the same wisdom the recognition that as we live our lives we have experiences that are going to have value for us that we cannot predict. So if you've been on the show much, you've heard me mention Rilke and that specific writing about learning to live in the question. And as fate would have it, this most recent, one of the more recent podcasts from the We Can Do Hard Things podcast with Glennon Doyle and um, her sister Amanda and her wife Abby. Episode 283 is titled How Glennon Transforms Sadness into Power. And the episode is based on responding to a listener who wrote in and said, please talk about this sadness thing and how you handle the fact that sometimes there is just so much sadness in me and around my life that I don't feel like I can embrace it and love it. And so in the process of answering that, Glennon read one of these letters from letters to a young poet that Rilke has in his book. And talks about how it is not possible for us to know the value of these life events. says Guy Finley talks about, "The lessons we most need to learn in life ride into our lives on the back of events that we do not want." In one of his talks, he, he asks the audience, so, you know, you're all spiritual seekers here, and who here wants to learn and grow and get to, to have a greater awareness of their creator and, and stretch and become a stronger, more deeply spiritual person? And every hand in the room goes up. And he says, okay, and now who here wants the trials that life is going to bring that are going to teach you how to grow? And, of course, nobody wants those trials. And that's essentially the point of this letter from Rilke to this other young poet and the recognition that we are not going to be able to script everything just the way we want it to be for our lives to move forward in a healthy, loving way. And yet, as we go through these things that we don't like and don't want, we grow in ways that are impossible for us to see from that conscious, logical perspective. Until it happens, we can't experience it, we can't know it's going to be okay, and yet it's through the very trials and upsets and sadnesses and griefs and times of disruption in our lives that we go through what we need to go through to grow, to integrate, to become stronger, better, different. So for anybody who's interested, that's um, the We Can Do Hard Things podcast podcast episode 283 titled how glennon transforms sadness into power and um, it absolutely was a delight for me to once again be reminded of that book that i've read so long ago from rilke letters to a young poet area code 610 susan
2: Hi, Dr. Tim. You're hovering right around a question I've had. It hasn't to do directly with sadness, but uh, and combining the, the interview you had on, mainly on evil, at least to start the other day, which got some things going, I guess I want to start my question by <clears throat> every week, we have this support group, and I send them what I call a teaser, a little passage from something for us to talk about if we need something to talk about. Actually, we never do, but I send it out as something a- to think a- about.
1: Actually what?
2: We never do. We never that, need. Sorry, okay, I, so I you, don't know you where you lost
1: you, you, you never end up talking about these things that you send out to people? Oh, because sometimes eventually
2: else somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, people are just b- bursting to talk anyway. But a lot of my material comes from the way of mastery, and I'm not systematic about it. The last one I sent out, which I found, by, I just open the book and see where my eyes fall. And it fell on this part, which has been very much on my mind. It's I'll read the paragraph. What is the Holy Spirit? but that part of your own right-mindedness that knows that only love is real. When any mind truly rests in that silence, it knows that it can no longer draw conclusions about what love would do, what love would express through it or how love would use the particular tools or gifts of any seemingly individual self in order to trigger, to nudge, to uplift, to shock any other aspect of the Sonship, capital S, into desiring its own awakening. I had to go through that twice because that's pretty convoluted. But I've been doing these Journal writings, letters to and from God, and mainly, I know what my, my wants and complaints are, so I, I just sit there and ask God to talk to me. And I think I've harbored this, harbored this idea that God would know things like a clairvoyant or omniscient being, and that I would find out things that probably as humans on the planet and seemingly separate from one another, we can't know and we can't ask God to show us those things. The only thing God shows us is something like, if you're in judgment, you're upset and you're, you're in error and you have to back off, become silent, become curious, become allowing and start again. I think that's what they might mean in Buddhism by the beginner's mind or Jesus when Jesus talks about becoming like little children. But it was quite a surprise to think that God's not going to tell me stuff (laughs) that isn't mine to know. And then I thought well God, don't you know what's going on? And God says, you have free will so I don't necessarily know what anybody's going to do before they do it and that seemed like a surprise and I wonder if I made that up you know Um, so I don't know exactly what my question is but it's been quite an exercise to watch how much judging I do every day and how often I have to just say, You don't know that for sure. You don't know that for sure. And go back to square one constantly. And you've been telling us this. Your trifling treasures put away, everything you think you know. Let let it go. So I feel as if it takes so many times going around. That's why I like why you keep you keep going through the way of mastery is we need to hear it over and over and over and over and still have trouble doing it.
1: Well, I would caution you to try to figure it out against trying to figure it out and recognize that when you start wondering, well, gee, doesn't God know? And that's your conscious, logical mind.
3: Yeah. Chewing,
1: spitting out the intellectual stuff, the reasoning, mm-hmm. what it might want to call logic, etc., and that's all it is. It's just the chattering of your conscious logical mind.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No need. It would be such.
2: Huh?
1: I'm sorry. It would be such what?
2: Such a relief not to be judging so often. It's exhausting. So, part of me thinks I have to
1: do it. Yes, absolutely, or you wouldn't, right? That's, That's the whole thing. We only do what we think we have to do. And so, you know, what comes to mind is to say, here's this yogi tool that says, hey, every time you have a thought like that, that says I better judge, I have to judge, or it's going to all go wrong, just choose the opposite thought. I'll be fine if I don't judge. I can let this go. Mm. Oh. You have a thought, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to stand it if my, my husband died or my wife died or my cat died and instantly just say, oh, look, it, I had that negative thought. Let me choose the opposite thought. If my cat or my husband or my wife dies, I'll be fine. You say, well, that's ridiculous. How do, what sense does that make? It doesn't make any more sense than the negative thought, but it doesn't make any less mm-hmm. sense than the negative thought.
2: Breathing into that one, it doesn't make any more or less sense than the other thought.
1: And while we're, we're constantly buying into and getting buffeted around by the negative thoughts, why mm-hmm. not employ the same technique and device to do a calming soothing response instead of the panic response. Yeah. So it's a tool that's offered, right? And and the yogis mm-hmm. do it on a regular basis. So when you think, "Oh, I have to judge," feel free to say, "I don't have to judge." I can allow I can relax. I can soften. I'll be fine if I let this go. If I just let it be what it is. Mm.
2: Which leads me to a second thought. This comes out of the Sunberg book. He had to make a deal with the powers that were dealing with him before he decided he wanted or was willing to come back to being an incarnated human. He, knowing, I guess, that coming back here is a true challenge for anybody. And he wanted to make sure he had certain advantages, I guess. He wanted it to be intelligent, I guess, was one of them. I don't remember all the other ones. But if he... Well, the only other one
1: was he wanted to remember something about this experience and what he was here to do. He wanted to remember some of his pre-life experience.
2: Yeah. But he came with the notion that life can be pretty rough, a real shit show, you know. And I found that very comforting, but I thought, isn't that like a setup? What if, for instance, this this psychic who told me I was going to be hospitalized for ages and ages before I died, That could be the thing I fear the worst has come about because I believed it. He's believing that life is going to be rough on this planet. Isn't that like the same thing that I was doing?
1: It could be, but the fact of the matter is none of us knows in the absolute sense until we've been through it. So who, who would you believe? Somebody who says, I know that life can be painless and blissful all day, every day. But you've never had that experience. So you're going to believe somebody who says it could be, and the only reason it's not is because you're thinking a wrong way? Well, then what are you doing? You're creating more negativity and more judgment of yourself, thinking you should be doing it differently. Yeah. Think of it this <laughs> way. This person... Christian Sundberg, who wrote this book. And and you yeah. don't need my admonition for this. He says it right in the book. I'm nobody special. I'm not presenting this as though I've got all the answers. You do remember reading that, correct?
2: No. I, I forget well,
1: things. You, 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 oh, okay, but you can go back and reread it. Don't okay. don't trust me. Go back and reread it. He says, I'm right. not putting this out here as the absolute truth. I'm Be just you. reporting what my experience has been. And so here's the idea. In his writing he said he remembers being in the spiritual consciousness without a body. Yeah. Before <laughs> coming here. Mm-hmm. And he remembers having an experience of another body of consciousness that just was so radiant and loving. It was just so phenomenal that it was Mm -hmm. the prompt for him to approach that consciousness and say, you know, in thoughts, because they don't have words out there, how is this happening? How did you get so radiant? I want that too. And the other consciousness said, well... A lot of people say that, but many people don't really want I mean it's not going to be easy and Christian Sundberg reports that his consciousness said, "No, I really want it I'm ready I, I want to go do this and so mm-hmm. he said, "Well, in order to get this, you have to go through a physical experience. you can't get it just out here in in the in the bodiless experience of consciousness and bliss. you have to go through a different level of experience. He said, okay, I want to go do it. And mm-hmm. he had some experiences. Right? He doesn't say, and then I came here and now I'm here. Right? He, he's had potentially many other life experiences. And he realized that as he was going back to have another life experience, he needed to go through some, what, what they keep calling in that work more and more difficult constraint sets, in other words, life experiences. Mm-hmm. And we have to go through those like lifting weights, more and more difficult tasks to achieve mm-hmm. to build muscles, right? Yeah. So he had one lined up that would have helped him Learn this lesson he needed to learn, and whether you want to have it be pain or anger or fear whatever, I forget exactly which one it was, but he needed to have this very, very challenging set of circumstances, and he wanted to do it quickly, let's just get in there, I want this enlightened state, I want this expanded loving bliss state, so let me go have this experience in the physical where I know I'm going to go through all of these deeply challenging experiences. And he started to move from the non-physical into the physical, Mm -hmm. and what happened? He got terrified. Yeah, I remember
2: that. Yeah, I remember. Because he
1: remembered how 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 extensively difficult and challenging it was going to be this thing that he'd lined up, and so. As the body is building and forming, as the fetus is growing, he says, no, get me out of here, I stop, I'm, I, I take it back, I don't want to do it. And he goes back into the non-physical. He doesn't manifest mm-hmm. in physical form. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah, so I now that. what? Well, he says, no big deal. No harm, no foul, right? That Those people that were affected by that... They're in their own, you know, their own experience. They're going to have their own growth from it. Their own challenges. Every, we're all in this interconnected flow of energy system, interacting with other energy systems, and it's all just a game of growth and life and extension and fun, anyway. In you know, the bottom line. So now, he has the same challenge in front of him. He's got. to to learn to lift heavier and heavier weights to get stronger at at Mm. his ability to presence love in more challenging circumstances. And he doesn't think he can do it. So he negotiates for a less strenuous approach. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean he's going to accomplish the same thing he's not going to accomplish the same thing. He's going to need more cycles. He's going to have to, instead of, you know, going in and being able to lift 5,000 pounds at the end of that first life, maybe he goes in and does 20 different lives where he can only lift 500 pounds each at the end of it. But that's the kind of thing, right? When you say he made this deal that he would be intelligent and he would remember some of his pre-life experience, in doing that, he makes this easier and therefore he doesn't grow as much in this
4: lifetime. Mm.
1: Do, do you get it? Does that make sense to you now? It's not like... It does make sense. Well, you know... yeah. You know, like like he has a special favor, and, and was, any of us could do that. Some of us choose, according to the way this theory is laid out, some of us choose harder life circumstances because we want to get it done faster, because we think we're ready for it. Mm. And he thought he was ready for it, and he found out he wasn't, because he backed out. So he chose something that was not as... Productive in terms of helping him reach the goal that he wants to reach and being fearless and loving and strong and whatever. So just understand it that way. It's not like he's got something special.
2: And also that this is one way of looking at the whole thing and there are other ways. Could you say that too?
1: Sure. Because you're creating your experience. Mm. So could you create an experience of life that's just totally blissful and totally peaceful? Probably. Are you going to get much benefit from that in terms of getting stronger and learning how to have the ability to presence love in more and more challenging circumstances? Probably not. Mm. (laughs) Do you need
2: to do that? No. The
1: way of mastery says, you know, we're going to get to it in later lessons. You didn't need to come here. Mm. The world isn't broken. You don't need to fix it. You're not here to save anybody. We've already had that at one point. What if you approach this as though you're not doing this to save yourself or to save your family or to save, you know, or to gain favor with God? What if none of that has to be? Mm. Just think about it. Think about what most, most people's conception of hell is. Mm-hmm. What's your conception of hell? And, and mo- most people have a conception of hell that comes from Dante's poem in the 1300s. Mm-hmm. You know, 1,300 years after Jesus, now we've, we, we create an image of hell and fire and and brimstone. But is that real? It's no more real than you make it.
2: The old brain is taken in with all its garbage, just just as I figured it might. I remember this, probably the same woman who did that other psychic thing said, you were born under a very lucky star, and you're going to have a very good and relatively easy life. I believed her, and it has been true, even though I feel as if things bother me a lot compared to, to, you know, Gaza and Ukraine and so forth. So far, it's been a charmed life. And then my mind says to me, so boy, kid, you're going to suffer in the next round. You're not getting your work done yet. You've got trouble up ahead. You better not die because if you start a new life, it's going to be much worse. All that stuff. Just telling you, Dr. Kim, a lot of fun. Are you still there? I'm here. Oh, okay. I thought I might have lost the connection on a la blog talk. <clears throat> you don't have to say anything about that. It's just, you know, the usual stuff.
1: Well, you know, again, the call from all of this work is get out of my head. Get into mm-hmm. my heart space and mm-hmm. understand that whatever I create in my mind as thoughts about things is just my creation. It's just like Michael Rice talks about how words don't have meaning other than what is contained in the brain cell of the person who's receiving that vibration. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we know this, we just don't talk about it explicitly, but we all know this. Most of us have had time with friends in college and high school and whatnot where people jokingly call each other negative names. And and you know it's all in good spirit because you know your friend and everybody in your group calls you know so-and-so, jerk, etc., and everybody laughs about it. But a different person uses that same word and you create a different meaning for it and now you want to go fight somebody or you want to run and never talk to them again. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We create our own meanings for all of these words. So as you're trying to make sense of this, and you're asking questions about this from the Christian Sunberg perspective and, you know, what was happening before he had life experience and what does it truly mean, does life have to be painful or are we just creating a self-fulfilling prophecy, et cetera. All of that is just spinning in thought. Mm. If you enjoy it, if you're having fun doing it, go ahead, keep spinning in thought. If you generate some kind of tension or negativity around it, feel free to drop it. Stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And step into an experience, which is what all of these deep spiritual traditions are calling us to. Don't, Don't stand on the corner and preach to people about what you know and have all of these ideas and this wisdom. Just have a life that you can enjoy that's that's got you know more enjoyment in it than not usher mm. yourself into an experience mm-hmm. that's more blissful and just keep trying different things until you find something that results in something you prefer mm. choose for love choose for calm choose for peace choose for joy whatever it takes to get you to do that at an experiential level remember the the one part of the way of mastery already where it said so do you know what unconditional love is do you know what enlightenment is do you know what total peace and bliss is and when the answer is no well i've 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 had a hint of it here or there or I hear people talk about it, but I certainly don't live in that state. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When that is your truth, then quit talking about it and find a way to step into the experience of it. That's the invitation in this work time and time again. I would say, use the general concepts of a book like "A Walk in the Physical" with Christian Sunberg to construct an experience for yourself that's more loving. And if you think about it, and you think about how maybe you had a pre-life experience and you chose to come here to have these challenges, if you think about that and all of a sudden you're filled with rage or hurt or confusion or helplessness, then choose again. Mm-hmm. Right? Just choose to not believe it and move on. Choose another pattern of thought. Remember the Byron Katie work that says, I don't suffer from my negative thoughts. I only suffer when I believe my negative thoughts. Yeah, that's very so question true. question everything. Question mm. everything. And, of course, that's a big challenge. That's why Rilke had to talk about it in his writing to that young poet to say, listen, we aren't really taught this, but you might benefit by learning to live in a questioning state without demanding an answer.
2: Yeah. And
1: it's that's like almost exactly known. what the way of mastery is calling us to, learn to live in that open questioning heart space rather than the intellectual space that wants to figure everything out
2: as if that's going to be the ground you're going to stand on. You're going to be able to feel solid ground if you somehow define things or make judgments. Letting those go, I feel as if I have no feet or I'm floating around. And that wouldn't be a bad thing.
1: Excellent. Try that. Why? Because it's different. If you're not satisfied, if you're not fully, completely immersed in satisfaction and gratitude, and then try something new. What if it leaves me feeling like I'm floating and my feet are on the ground? Okay, that's new anyway, right? So try it. <laughs> yeah. Watch what happens. Maybe it leads to something even better. Maybe it leads to something worse, and then you try something else. Remember, over and over again in the way of mastery it calls us to do this playfully yeah. we are here to play we are here to experience we're here to extend the loving energy the creative energy And you already said it in this call. What about the call by um, Yeshua to be again as a little child? Playful. Yeah. Mm. Childlike curiosity. Experimenting. Having fun in you know what they call the sandbox of life.
2: So tell me, you said that number 283, we can do hard things. The woman who called in or wrote was asking about what you do with sadness because that seems to be a real roadblock. Uh, suffering, the suffering that goes on, that comes to mind and then I'm back in the rat race, my thoughts. Having to do something, having to fix something. Um, she said at the beginning what she, what her answer was.
1: Well, the whole, the whole uh, episode is talking around that concept. What, what is sadness? What do we do with it? Is it something we should be running from? Is it something we can allow and? and experience at different levels, and as we experience it, does it transform us, and do we grow through it? And That's the whole episode. Mm. There's no pat answer for it.
2: Mm.
1: So I highly recommend it because Glennon is a wonderful writer, and she is growing through recognizing how important it is for her to be deeply honest at at more and more deep levels in her life. And so she'll just start talking about her experience. She's not telling anybody, this is the truth and you got to do this and you got to do that. She's just, as a creative person, as a writer, as an artist, as... Someone who struggled with addictions and therapies, and a very bright person. She just starts talking about it. And at one point, she brings in Rilke because Rilke is just another person, but he is—he's mm. um, a poet. He's an artist. He's—you know—and he's, he's talking to this young poet that has written him a letter and he's writing back to him, and he says, you know, I would love to send you my book on this, of poems about this, but I don't even own any of them, and I can't afford any of them, so you'll have to go out and buy it yourself. So that's the context of this. Rookie's not sitting there like some grandmaster, and that's what Glennon is doing. She's not sitting there as some ultra-wise person. She's just saying this is, this is what I'm feeling at this stage of the game. These are things I've wrestled with in my life.
2: Mm. <clears throat>
1: so if you're looking for pat answers, there aren't any that are worth anything.
2: Yeah.
1: There are plenty of them out there, but they're not worth anything. No. With, with, with a good pat answer and five bucks, you can get yourself a bag of organic
2: carrots. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor Tim. Good stuff.
1: Well, so just you know, thank you. And when you catch yourself aching for wanting a pat answer, just recognize that's your ego wanting that. Sure and the ego <laughs> and the ego can't know things. Can't you know? Years ago, it came to me to start saying, only the ego wants to know God. God, So if you've got this craving to know God, just recognize, oh, that's my ego. Great. Why? Because the essence of your true self knows that it's always been connected to its source. That's why the admonition was, be quiet and know. Don't listen to the chattering of the monkey mind. You know, I don't know why, but something just made me flash on years ago when we were doing the support group. One of the people in it, very bright engineer-type gentleman, very, very well-intentioned and very, you know, basically loving. And something was coming up in one of our discussions, and I said, you know, I'm never going to be done with this work. I'm going to be doing this work as long as I live, et cetera. And he just erupted in anger. Really? And he started fist on the table demanding... It doesn't have to take long. You can be, you can reach enlightenment in a heartbeat. You just gotta just, you're just one thought away. And I, okay. What do you mean, okay? And I just gave him my usual, you know, the God <laughs> response. Okay. In other words, I am not going to fight with you about that. You know, if you can be done in a heartbeat, go right ahead. Be done. It doesn't mm. seem like you're there right now when you're pounding your fist in anger on the table, but, you know but that's okay. <laughs> right. You know, it's that part of me that wants to be done right now. That's just the ego. Mm. And so, you know, we're right back at the theme that I wanted to talk about at the very beginning of today's call, which is that it just came to me, the ego wants to know this stuff and we were talking about this in the way of mastery as we were reading past couple lessons let's just get really clear about what my ego values and how it's holding on to certain things and how the essence of love doesn't require anything to be there as a prerequisite it just is and that your treasure is your, your awareness of life, your true, net, your, the fact that you're connected to your source. That's your deep treasure, and the whole purpose of life is just to extend that. And so, anything that's less than that is something that, in one way or another, my ego, my conscious logical mind, is creating and holding on to. Mm. And most of us have had the experience of not being very happy when we're living from that egoic space.
2: No kidding.
1: And again, and again, they talk to us about how you have the choice. You have free will. Well, if I have the choice, and I'm not happy, what happens? These deep teachings say, choose again. Right In the way of, in the Course in Miracles, where it's got the, the lesson that Michael gives a two-hour lecture on, or a little bit less than two hours, he says, uh, here's this, this process for getting up in the morning and, and figuring out what kind of day do you want to have that's, that's one aspect of it. Another one, you, you make the decision that, you make the choice. I'm not going to make any decisions today on my own. I'm going to turn to Holy Spirit and ask to be shown. And then you go out and live your, your life by giving away the kind of day that you would like to have because that's how you get it. You give it away. So if you want a day that's full of joy and love and appreciation and gratitude, you go out and start showing joy, love, and appreciation and gratitude to everyone and everything around you. And then, having made the choice not to make any decisions today on your own, you know, you're going to ask Holy Spirit to guide you, etc., in any decision that comes up, then you start to have tension or upset of any kind. And the lesson says, now we know how difficult it is for humans to admit they're wrong. So we're not going to ask you to admit you're wrong. We will ask you to just pay attention to whether or not you like how it's feeling. Mm -hmm. And if you can at least admit, I don't like how this feels when you have a negative emotional state, when you have some sadness or upset or fear... Then then maybe you can get yourself to ask, I wonder if there's a different way to to look at this, to judge this, to interpret this life circumstance. At least that. And then you have Mm -hmm. a new beginning. And now you're not making any decision about what anything is or what it means. On your own, you're asking from higher guidance, what you can make this mean, how you can interpret this, how you can respond to this. Again, it's, it's stepping out of the thought, the conscious logical mind, the judgment, the well-defined perception, and just asking to be shown, asking to see the shimmering radiance underneath everything asking to be shown the connectedness of all people and things. And the reason for that is because most people have understood that the more they do that, the more they have a different experience in their life. And if the experience I'm having in one moment is not to my liking, these deep teachings say just choose again. Ask to be shown. Admit that you don't understand. Wake up to the fact that there's a lot more going on here in each new present moment than your conscious, logical mind can ever even begin to comprehend. Mm. So once I recognize that, then it seems absolutely silly to ask my conscious logical mind to help me sort something out.
2: And you can feel when you've had those thoughts, you can feel letting go or relaxing in your system.
1: Are you asking me if I do?
2: Or are you just
1: saying this has been your experience?
2: Well, my experience is some part of me hangs on awfully hard, way (laughs) underneath everything. I'm I'm right.
4: (laughs) Yep. Yep.
2: I remember one time I was talking about our tenant downstairs, and you said, "You know if you keep telling this story you 're going to get a lot of sympathy for it, and sympathy feels good for the moment and you you know it's like a a form of gossip, whatever it is. you get some satisfaction. all the news stations do it, they badmouth each other for me, this side, both sides, and they get a lot of a big charge out of showing the the mistakes and the stupidities of the other side, and it's kind of bottomless. I don't think I've really, really stayed very long in the place where there's no judgment. There really is a total letting go, <clears throat> giving up the need yeah. to be right. Is a bottomless
1: yeah, it's, pit. It's- That's right. Well, it's not bottomless, but it is so well rehearsed that I'm going to have to be willing to do the work 77 times 70 times, or in other words, an infinite number of times until it's complete. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to be willing to avoid the spiritual bypass. Right, and the... Cheap
2: the, the, satisfaction the, yeah, of having or, somebody agree
1: with you,
2: yeah. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. right. Yeah, the cheap satisfaction of having somebody agree with you, or the numbing out from seeking yeah. validation at the conscious logical level, without any mm-hmm. meat on the bones of having step, uh-huh. stepping into an experience that is mm-hmm. solid, multidimensional, rewarding. But again, this whole body of work is based mm-hmm. on stepping into an experience for yourself that you don't have to ask for outside validation about. Mm-hmm. Because just think about it. When you're asking for outside validation, who are you asking for it from? Mm-hmm another human being who doesn't know any more than you do, except outside their own experience. Right.
2: Mm.
1: It is a blessing to have consciousness, to have an experience in life mm. physical body consciousness without a body etc can you step mm. into enjoying and appreciating that well mostly not if you're comparing it to any anyone or anything else then you can't really step mm-hmm. into just enjoying it. right so the idea is when you catch yourself in the judgment or comparison just recognize it with that childlike curiosity and innocence, and just say, oh, maybe I'll choose again. And breathe and soften and let it go. (laughs) And then
2: there's the layer under that, and you do it again, et cetera, ad infinitum. (laughs)
1: Well, you've done it. You've hung out with us the entire hour. Thank you for that. I will uh,
2: end it up on a negative note, but I get it, Dr. That's,
1: Tim. It's that's all right. It's just a note. It's only negative <laughs> if you call it negative. So yeah. I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Thank you so much for your comments and questions. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff that we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice.
0: Thank you, Dr. Kim. Appreciate you.
1: And thanks for playing the show
0: for us yesterday.
1: Well, you're welcome. Take care.
0: Okay. Thank you. So, welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio, and today is Tuesday, February twenty seventh, twenty twenty four. And our call in number is five six three nine nine nine. 3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We'll give Michael a moment to dial in. We have a couple of people that are supposed to call in today that needed to process. Somebody had actually asked because we were doing the uh, enlightenment series and reading the, um, Michael's been reading his book on the end of suffering. And some people had asked, was it okay to still call in with another issue if it didn't have anything to do with uh, the Enlightenment or um, the book? And we were like, absolutely, that's what uh, this show is here for, to support you. So if you have a question or a comment, even if it doesn't have anything to do with the Enlightenment, we are here to support you. So please dial in, 563-999-3581, and press 1, and we'd love to hear from you. And like I said, um, we do have a couple of people who were going to call in with some questions. I did check my email this morning, and I didn't have any questions that we hadn't answered yet. So, <laughs> um, And we hope that you did listen to yesterday's show, which was Aramaicisms Part 2. Last month, we something happened one day, and, and so we played Part 1. Yesterday, Michael and I both had appointments with people, and so we played the show Everything's fine. Some people texted and asked if we were okay. Everything is absolutely fine. And uh, thank you. And we hope you enjoyed. Aramaicisms is a. It was a four-hour workshop with Michael and uh, and uh, Dale Allen Hoffman, and they discussed you know the Aramaic meanings of words and and uh, tied it in with you know the forgiveness process and and being love and all of that. So. Uh, we broke it into four different hours so that we can play it on the show four different times. And so we uh, we hope that you enjoyed that. Give Michael just a moment to get dialed in. And I hope that I hang on to my Internet. Um, our son's supposed to get us a an extender for the Internet. I have one computer that is not liking to stay online and so I'll be right in the middle of recording and it just internet goes away it comes back pretty quickly but when it's gone it disconnects me from the recording so that's why a couple of days there I had to actually just copy uh, from blog talk and put it posted over on Podbean we couldn't stay live because it kept kicking me out So technical issues with my computer this time, not blog talk and not (laughs) Podbeam. So giving me opportunities uh, while I'm waiting on Michael to get in, I'll just announce it's now on the website. Excuse me. If you go to whygen.org and either um, you can click on schedule and under schedule it says flyers and intensives. And then from that it'll say live Event. Or if you're on the home page and you just scroll down um, to the events section, you'll also see uh, the live events. And so Michael's going to be in Sarasota, Florida, anybody who is down in that area, on May the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And so we've got the flyer and the information out there. He'll be doing uh, Why Is This Happening to Me Again on uh, that Friday night. And then he'll be doing all day Saturday mind shifters and still point breathing. And then on Sunday afternoon, he'll be doing codependent standard dependence. So you can go to the website and pull that flyer if you know anybody in the Sarasota area or if you want to take a trip in May down to Florida, you'll be able to catch a live workshop. And Michael has joined us, so I am going to just say welcome Michael.
3: Thank you, dear heart. And actually, they'll be able to catch three live workshops. Friday, we're going to do Why Is This Happening to Me Again in the evening. Saturday, an all-day workshop, and and Friday will be an open free, you know, as when we've always traveled. Um, Our information-oriented workshops are free, and uh, they're free not because we're independently wealthy, but our commitment is to make them available. Whether you've got money or not, they're relevant. And at the end of each workshop, those workshops will invite a donation to support us. Saturday is a paid workshop. It'll be all day. When we do process-oriented work, what we've learned over the years is that when you start taking people into their own internal dynamics, if they don't have an investment, it's too easy for them to turn tail and run away go the other direction and find somebody to blame. So there is a fee for Saturday. It'll be an all-day workshop from 8 in the morning till sometime around approximately 6 in the evening is usually when that one completes, depending how many people there are and how much processing there is. And the cost for that is 125 for the day. So it's a really reasonable day. To, you'll, you'll actually get some training on facilitating the still-point breathing process, as well as training itself on how to do the still-point process. And you'll get the experience of doing both facilitating and being facilitated in doing still-point breathing. So it's a pretty powerful day. And then on Sunday afternoon, we'll be doing codependence to interdependence. I think today, with the uh, dynamics going on in our world and our culture, probably codependence dynamics are one of the most important things to understand, so we'll be getting into that and introducing the codependence worksheet in that workshop so and that'll be another free open workshop again, at the end, we'll invite people to donate, but certainly not a requirement and so Ms. Jeannie's just checking in. Do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room?
0: Well, we um, all have a hand up. However, um, Michael had said that he would be calling in. I'm going to turn on his mic. He might be, oh, he just put a hand up. So, okay, Mr. Sagan, welcome to the show.
4: Well, thank you, folks. Are you hey, me, welcome, okay? young man. Thank you. You're hearing me. That's good. I hope the road is overwhelming. Good 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 so no nice you're good enjoy. you're loud and clear and i'll I'm keep my sure. voice
3: loud and clear too
4: wonderful just like old times back on the show
3: there you go extending love in your direction for anybody who doesn't uh, hasn't been in touch with michael and you know many of you know him through our land or and or through the radio show uh michael's mom just passed recently and so he's up on on the road on his way to a family event and so what's on your mind for today michael
4: yes thank you for the intentions michael and been wanting to discuss with you for the longest time reality actuality and i know that you have touched upon this and and jeannie on, on the show and many times and I've, I've come to realize after I think it's what is it coming up on three years no end all somewhere around there
2: right. the
4: reality is my reality is what I am making it in my brain is that pretty much a is my my background my, my prior experiences that all forms my reality
3: right so so reality to be precise about it we live in a world of actuality you know this energy system in which we live move and have our being and it is who knows what all is there to be seen we know that with our senses we perhaps, it's been estimated, get to experience maybe as much as 1% of what's actually there. You know, in terms of the, what we call the material world, uh, you know, the, the scientists are telling us that at least 90% of the actuality, that is the planets, the whole solar systems, everything that we, that at least 95% of it is dark matter. And dark matter, scientists know nothing about, zero. So at least 95% of the universe, science itself is admitting we don't know anything about 95% of it. So if we go back to the Harvard research that we've talked about to lay some groundwork for yourself, and I know this is a repeat for you, but for others who might be listening to the show, if we go back to... The Harvard research, probably the most quoted psychological research in human history, was done back in the 50s, has never been refuted. And what they came up with was that in a time frame, when they had electrodes on someone's head measuring brain cell firings, in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, that would be 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity happening in the brain, and the time frame is about a 25th of a second, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is 9 bits. It's been estimated that in that same time frame, there are perhaps 20 trillion bits, although we really don't have a clue. A reasonable lesson would be that there are perhaps 20 trillion bits in the actuality, in the creation as it actually is. 10,000 brain cells are firing... And in that time frame, the max amount of data that your structure has to produce its perceptual construct is nine bits, and I have nine bits. Now, of course, in order for our realities to be different, all I have to do is utilize a different nine bits than you in order to produce my construct out of the 20 trillion plus who knows what, potentially available. So obviously, oftentimes, our realities are not the same. And most people have mixed the two up, and they think that, well, I see something out there in the world, and I call that actuality, but in truth, you and I, nor has anyone ever seen anything through our eyes. The eye is a one-way device. It is a receiver for information, light information. Our ear receives a different frequency range, and so we receive light energy coming into the eye, and that light energy carries information, and according to the information that it carries, it resonates brain cells in us. 2,000 years ago, Yeshua said in order to understand his teaching, you had to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I think we're safe in assuming that pretty much everybody in his audience had what we call physical eyes and ears. What he was saying is, you've got to have the brain cells. So if he's got a particular set of brain cells firing and he uses words to convey that, If those words don't trigger the same brain cells in me as they do in him, then I have no comprehension of his meaning. If I don't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I think it was Isaiah that started that idea when he says, those who having eyes do not perceive and those who having ears do not hear. So they understood that reality was of the mind and that actuality was something different. At least that would be my take. And so if I use a different nine bits of information, whatever the information coming in, let's just use that single sense, the eye, whatever that information resonates in me, that resonance produces a picture, literally a construct of my mind that we'll call perception. And that construct is painted on the inside of my eyeballs. Now, we've been tricked because it's painted on the inside of our eyeballs that we're looking out there but the eye is a one-way valve you there is no I mean it's ludicrous to think that you can see out through the eye when you understand the energy system you know we have a TV antenna on the roof of the house it receives a signal that signals carried into the TV and the TV produces a picture similar analogy we have an antenna called the eye it brings in information and we produce a picture but you know To say, well, I'm going to go over and take the antenna off the back of the TV and I'm going to look in the wires and see out through the antenna at what's going on in the neighborhood is a pretty silly statement, pretty silly thought. Well, it's no different to say that I'm seeing what's happening in the outer world. I see approximations. I see see things that match. People whose realities don't even come close to what's happening in the, the actuality, we call them crazy. But their minds are showing them pictures that sometimes are not any crazier than yours or mine, if we're in, especially if we're in any form of hostility or fear, because the mind is using, my take, the mind is using corrupt data in order to produce those realities. There's a powerful section in the Course in Miracles, a lesson, what is the world? And if you like, I'll send you a link. I think you've probably already got it, but if you don't, I'll send you a link to that lesson. I think it's one of the most important and most misunderstood lessons in the Course. But basically what it says is, perception, that is the ability to construct things on our minds and paint them inside of our balls. Perception is a skill made up by us to take the place of the actuality, to take the place of what the Creator gave us in creation. So perception in this case would equate the word reality, the constructs of my mind. And so now we have what in the ancient scriptures they called the mind of man. Man being Adamus, red clay. If you were to take the the so-called physical body that you have and take it into a laboratory and hand it to them and say, here, break this down and tell me what it's made of, what they tell you is... that the base element of your so-called body is what we call carbon. And carbon is an atomic structure that has six electrons, six protons, and six neutrons. You might recognize that number, 666. The mind of man, if you go back in one particular case, Yeshua is talking to Peter. You know, like Peter is the head henchman. I'm going to build everything on this foundation of Peter and... He directly calls Peter Satan. And then what he says he defines what he means by Satan and he says, For you think in the mind of man rather than the plan of God or what I would substitute the mind that I'm using, and that is the mind that the mind that Yeshua used would be called the mind of Christ. So we have the the constructs of carbon-based memory, what's stored in the your body's mind, generational patterns that go on throughout all of your generations, each of us has, and when an event happens in the actual world, the energetic patterns that come in resonate, whatever's stored in me, and my mind produces a reality, a perception, a construct out of carbon-based memory, the mind of man. That's what Yeshua was referring to as Satan, for you think in the mind of men, for you think in Adamos, the images that the red clay storage system produces as perceptions, rather than the plan of the creator, rather than the actuality. And so, if we made up a whole world to take the place of what the creator gave us, that is, we are locked into perception, the mind of man, perhaps a good exercise would be to be willing to let go of that. That, for me, was an insight, uh, Michael, that came about probably a year and a half or so ago now, at which point I asked to have perception taken away from me, like I'm willing to let go of that whole construct thing and trust that the creator's mind has got a whole lot better grasp on the actuality and what's best for any of us than carbon-based memory does, than perception and memory. So I've been asking for about a year and a half, and I've, it's been quite effective, and I've, I feel like it's really enhanced my life to say, I'm ready to be finished with memory, and I'm ready to be finished with perception, and I'm willing to trust that there's a mind in me, the same mind that this man used two thousand years ago. Paul talks about. The mind of Christ in you, your hope of glory, your possibility is that you have the birthright to share in that same mind that Yeshua utilized 2,000 years ago, and it's not the mind of perception. Where we enter into the actuality, and we're willing to be instructed by that. And, you know, when they said, don't be conformed to this world, don't have your, in essence, don't have your perception conformed to this world you'll notice there are a lot of specialists in the world that make sure every kid's perception is con- conformed to what the world believes and what the world holds to be true, and most of it's a fraud you know I can remember back oh probably ten years ago they had a a quote they came out and uh, and said that uh if I remember correctly, the numbers were 85% of the knowledge that was taught on a college level, this is about 10, maybe 15 years ago, 85% of what had been taught today at that time on a college level they had proven was not true. And so my offering is that anything in your perception or mind that is based in any form of hostility or fear is a construct of carbon-based memory, 666, the Antichrist, it goes against the mind of love in us, and it needs to be forgiven. And then then we'll notice that the mind of man has made up a story about forgiveness. And what's the story? Ah, if you're in pain, it's somebody else's fault. And so what you do if you're in pain and it's their fault, you just be big about it and you forgive them. You let them off the hook for the pain that's moving in you does nothing to change the pain that's moving in you, and totally voids the idea of forgiveness, where forgiveness in Yeshua's terms, in Yeshua's Aramaic language, was how we remove from carbon-based memory those energetic patterns that don't belong there. And you hear the scriptures talking about, you must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother, and that's you know, in in my awareness previously had been that's kind of like a a bleeding heart statement. I'm going to forgive from my I'm going to forgive you because of you, you are wrong because of your wrongs. But when you get back to the Aramaic, what you hear is you must remove because forgiveness is removal from your carbon based memory system, your mind of man those things which you've projected into your brain's image of your brother. You must own those and remove those in order to be free of perception, in order to be free of carbon-based memory. Does that give you a picture of what you were looking for? Is that clarifying, making sense?
4: Sure, a little bit more. Oh, nice to have you, Michael. Loud and clear. Okay. I would like to just, Be sure I I understood. I I heard correctly. You mentioned just a few moments ago about what was taught in university, and I think the number was eighty-five percent. Could you?
3: Eighty-five percent. This goes back about fifteen years ago, Mm -hmm. and they said eighty-five percent of what have been taught to date at a university level was had been proven false.
4: Wow, that is staggering! Staggering. Okay, appreciate that. Now back to in the more uh, beginning of your uh, explanation, you mentioned about 90, I think 95% of the universe is dark matter is what science is telling us, correct? Right. Yes. Now, that's, a, would that that's include, what it's estimated to be. Yes. Now, would that include what is surrounding us? As people on this planet or is that just yes.
3: in deep space no they're saying throughout the universe the, the mm-hmm. estimate at this point and and I don't know enough about it to know how they came to this estimate but from a scientific sure. point of view they're estimating that about 95% of what exists in the universe and that would be inside and outside and all around us as far as, you know, the telescopes can see. You know, the latest, this new uh, Webb telescope that's out there is showing us that the universe is an infinite number of times larger than we thought it was based on our previous telescopes and our previous science, an infinite amount larger. And I mean, they've now done away with the Big Bang because now with this new information, they know that the Big Bang was a, a false theory.
4: That is a, that's amazing. So what I, I mean,
3: the Big Bang, you know, the Big Bang has like been science's Bible for how long, <laughs> and it's gone now.
4: Quite a while.
3: Quite a while.
4: Quite a while. So when we when I put I'm putting this in perspective a little bit more, ninety ninety five percent of what is around us is not really defined. We
3: don't have a clue.
4: We don't even have proof. the sensory
3: apparatus to sense it
4: and and yet our brain is only picking up nine bits of that
3: well our brain our brain is able to utilize it you know imagine that it's a space it's like the screen, so measurable units of electrical activity there are ten thousand brain cells firing off, and out of that there's room for us to see a construct made of nine bits of that, and what drives that nine-bit construct is our goals. What selects which nine bits our mind's going to use at any given moment is our goals. And for me, that is, I mean, when you look back 2,000 years ago, which the Greeks didn't have a clue of, what Yeshua's teaching was cancel, forgive, and the word in Aramaic for forgive us shabag or shabak means to cancel, cancel the driver for your errant perception, and your errant perception collapses. When it collapses, it collapses in on its own footprint, and it gives you access to the underlying hidden part of your own mind. So when you cancel a goal that is driving this nine bits of data to be used, That collapses, and, you know, a a good image, although it's a nasty image, is you'll remember, and everybody's familiar with the 9-11 towers when, when they went down. What did they do? They fell into their own footprint. Perception inside of us falls into perception in the mind of man falls into its own footprint now maybe that footprint is something that happened to us when we were two years old maybe it's something that happened to great granddad maybe it's something that happened twenty generations ago and the event in the world now that is resonating out of our genetic structure, that issue that great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa never was able to resolve, and now it's coming forward as a construct inside of our own minds. So here we are now in rage and grief over an event that, well, you know, just something silly happened, and here I am in rage and grief. Why am I in such rage and grief? I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, and uh, he had a, a situation happen with his spouse. And she was upset about a particular thing. And it wasn't a big upset, but she verbalized that she didn't like something. And, you know, the way he shared it, we were doing some processing. It was like it wasn't any really big deal, but it was a deal. And. He just had a blowout in his reality structure, and he had been abused as a child by his mother. Things like being tied to a chair and beaten, and so he, he he's been doing this, this work for some time. So he figured, well, you know, this has got something to do with with mother and being beaten, being abused, and his his response to this. Thing that wasn't that big an event for his wife was okay. Then I'm just going to go out and live in the woods by myself. And I pointed out, so with such a strong reaction, what you've going on here, got going on here, is a power person dynamic. Now the way you tell who your power person was. We can have many power person dynamics within us, but in any given event, the way you can tell who your power person was is that your mind prompts you to do the behavior that your power person did that you hated the most. The prompt from his mind was to leave. Guess who used to leave? His father. His father would leave and literally disappear from the family home for years and come back only to, in his words, and I quote this, only to beat his mother up and to beat him up, and then he'd leave again. So here he is thinking it's about abuse with his mother, but what it really came down to as we processed through it, what really came down to was here he is going back Dad and mom have a fight, and dad leaves for years. And what does he want to do? I'm just going to go out and live in the woods. I'm leaving forever. And there's the power person dynamic coming from carbon-based memory. And, And does his mother need to be forgiven? No. Does his father need to be forgiven? No. Does his spouse need to be forgiven? No. Does he need to be forgiven? No. But he needs to forgive as to this reality of leaving in response to something he doesn't like. And when he removes that, then he's able to step back into a deeper, more connected relationship with his beloved than he had before the event happened if he understands what forgiveness means. But the Greeks didn't give us that. They told us, well, you know, if if you're really hurting like that, of course, it was your spouse's fault for saying what she said, so you just need to forgive her. He could forgive her till the cows come home. It's never going to change that power person dynamic with his father leaving for years. How's he ever going to find what's at the root of it? Well, he had a goal for his wife. What was his goal? Now cancel that goal that's driving your perception to prompt you to leave that relationship in your home forever, and you'll find what's underneath it. And to me, more and more as I work with this, the genius of what Yeshua gave us in How to Forgive is beyond monumental. How to collapse perception... So that when it drops into his footprint, we have an opportunity to capture what's in us that we've put into our brain's image of our brothers. And we get to remove those things from us and get free of those dynamics. So what I suggested was, okay, so now your job will be to get out the power person worksheet and go to work on what that dynamic, the depths of that dynamic with your power person, which in this case was dad.
4: Uh, and I know myself, I have a lot of work to do in that area. <clears throat>
3: You're Jumping not alone.
4: To, <laughs> thank you. Jumping back to the, oh, our perception of realities. I, I have really Processed a lot on this, especially over the last couple of years with, with family situations, and uh, it's interesting you bring up this man with his wife, because I've been away from my former for many, many, many years, and I continue to now and then get hate mail or hate text from her, and I got you about one this morning, on something that happened in 1995, uh, yeah. Among a few other things. So let me ask this. Let's take it away from so much a personal uh, uh, application and bring it to the the accident situation. I know you've talked about that. Many people have talked about that, how several people could be watching an accident scene take place and come away right. from that with many different ideas of what happened and who's at fault. Many
3: that's different constructs, theory. many, many different realities. There'll be, there'll be as many realities as there are people that's observed the accident.
4: Okay. And actuality is these two cars banged and there was a, there was a collision. Would that be right? reasonable bet? Okay. And I take this and I look at even further. I look at our world situation, the things we're all facing and another conversation would be how did we get there? but taking it back into our perceptions at the accident, how does how could we all come together better on any of these situations that we are observing, experiencing, you know families experience things they they seeing things so differently even even among siblings how is right. it possible where, where's the where's the pathway to come together more on what we're experiencing what we're perceiving i any, any thoughts on that please?
3: yeah my take is there is one singular central reason why On planet Earth, we have starvation, why we have war, why we have murder, why we have divorce, why we have family separation, why we have hate, and why we have terrorism. There's only one reason. And that is that people do not have the tool of forgiveness. And once... Some form of hostility or fear-based energy enters into a particular person's energy field, until they can remove that, it is going to come back into distort perception over and over and over again. If we can hand that person a true understanding of what forgiveness is, then what will happen the root causes, the rage and the fear, the guilt and the blame that is at the root of starvation, divorce, murder, and war will be removed in each individual. And when that happens, the being that's behind the scenes, the true human being, will show up in their own physiology and in their own lives. And they will connect with other beings who have done the same. And one of the attributes, aside from the present, being the presence of active love, of each of us as humans is compassion. And when we displace Constructs based in hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, blame, drama, and trauma with compassion, then the whole game changes. Now, there's a physicist who lived 2,000 years ago that said a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. Now, this was a physicist talking about physics. It wasn't a baker talking about bread. And what he was saying is, if we can get enough human beings to do the work of forgiveness that they show up in their own physiology as love and compassion, and enough people do that piece of work, a critical mass, then the entrance in, in a, a stronger form of that energy of the active presence of love and compassion connecting through other humans who have done the same will create a critical mass energy shift where that energy will become so powerfully influential that the next day 7.5 billion people will wake up as compassion and love. So he was talking critical mass in physics. A little leavening leavens the whole loaf. You know, I'm doing a physics experiment, and I have this substance. And this substance has these characteristics. And I put it in the test tube, and I put one drop of a totally different substance into it, and nothing happens. And I put two drops, and nothing happens. And I put three, and I put ten, and I put a hundred, and I put a thousand drops in, and nothing has changed in that substance in the test tube. I put drop number 1,001 in into the test tube, and the whole structure of the substance in the test tube changes. That's critical mass. So my my take is that this physicist, Yeshua, was saying, if we can just get enough people through the gate, not people who go around judging other people and telling people what's wrong with them and what's wrong with the world and then and then and then and and, then the national nation. That's not what he was asking for. He was saying when enough people will do the work of showing up in their own physiology, in their own minds, whatever's happening in the world, whether it's their family system, their cultural system, or whatever catastrophe has happened in the world, if they'll show up as the active presence of love and compassion, they will become the leavening that leavens the whole loaf of humanity. That's the only hope of recovery from the mass insanity that's going on in the world today, would be my take.
4: us, So it's not a stretch then for, for us that our attempting to do our work, the more that that happens, the more people that begin this work is going to lead to
3: this critical mass shift
4: the world over over the shift that is
3: critical mass yes exactly enough people showing up again you know if you think Mm -hmm. of the world as a test tube and and you know, each person who comes in and, and is brainwashed from childhood up to believing, yes, it's all their fault. You know, by the age of four, virtually every person in this culture is a, uh, a card-carrying member of the One World Universal Religion of blame. It's always everybody else's fault, and they're always on the lookout for what's going wrong, what happened to them, who's doing it to them, and it's all somebody else's fault, and they have nothing to do with it. That's the search of people who belong to the One World Religion of blame conspiracies all over the place, and everybody's out to get them because they're creating what they're creating out of their own unconscious dynamics and they are projecting those unconscious dynamics into their brain's image of someone else so there's always somebody else to blame. When we can get people to give up their membership card in that religion and move into choosing to function as the active presence of love and compassion... And bringing that love and compassion to the one that yesterday they thought was the conspiratorial leader that was going to destroy the world, right up to and including Satan, to bring the mind of compassion and love to Satan means Satan's going to transform in the the sense of the world idea of Satan. Now, if you go to the Aramaic idea of Satan, Satan means the resistor, one who misleads and you look at the average person who's got a finger pointed at everybody in the world, and you say, well, you know, I noticed you've been doing that for a lot of years. Do you ever think that maybe that's about you, that it's not about them? And you watch that person when you ask them to take responsibility to give up their membership in the One World universe of Religion and Blame, and they'll say, no, wait a minute, Notice that's the resistance phase of the Satan in them. And then they'll tell you who the problem really is. And the name of the person who's the problem is always them. It's always somebody else. They're trapped in Satan. Most of the world today is literally, in the Aramaic sense... Not the Greek mythology, keep people in terror and fear sense, but in the Aramaic sense, most people are living in Satan, and they've always got somebody else to blame. When I'm able to, even if I think somebody else is the problem, can I show up as a space? Can I maintain my own human life and show up in my physiology as the active presence of love and compassion, Even for Satan, were I facing this creature face-to-face? Can I do that? Then I've become part of the world healing. Until then, I'm to contribute to its downfall. That to me is an exciting
4: reason not only to do my own work and assist myself and the others around me to a better place, but we're also contributing to the world shift.
3: Critical mass. Critical and mass. I, I know and you and to me,
4: spoke about that. Go ahead. I, I know you've spoken about that before, the critical mass. But I'm I am really digesting it today. Thank you.
3: Awesome. You know, there's a there, right here at this juncture in our conversation. There's a really powerful example in the ancient scriptures with Yeshua. And there's, you know, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're told he sweats blood. Now, as a naturopathic physician, if I saw someone sweating blood and breathing and standing as a space of love, I'd say, wow, now there's a healing crisis. And Yeshua comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's Peter, his head henchman, and there's the archenemy, you know, the representative Satan, the high priest servant. This is Satan in form in, in the context of that story. And, and what's Peter doing? Peter is the representative of the one world universal religion of blame. He's a card carrying member, and he's going to kill the high priest servant. What does Yeshua say to him? First of all, he gives him a very powerful lesson. If the world could hear this one, the world would change in an instant. He says, Peter, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. In other words, whatever energy other than love you engage in is what will kill you. So he gives him that warning. And then he says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. For you think in the mind of man. You're in your carbon-based memory. You're in your one-world universal card-carrying membership of the, world, the religion of blame, and you think the high priest-servant is a problem here. Get out of my way, because you're perceiving not the truth of what I have set up here. You are perceiving out of your own limited carbon-based memory. You're trapped in Satan. And then he turns to the high priest servant who's just been wounded by Peter with the sword. You know Peter is going for the guy's head, and he just gets an ear, and what does Yeshua do? He does what an actual human being would do when he sees a person who's injured. He reaches out from a space of love and compassion and heals the man that's about to mercilessly have him slaughtered and he knows what this guy's about to do to him but what does he do he's in the most dire circumstance a human could be in and he functions as a human being he offers love support and healing to the man who's going to be murdered now I've had people who've said to me, well, Michael, that's an interesting interpretation, but did you notice that doing that got him dead? And I say, yes, I noticed that doing that got him dead. Did you notice they couldn't keep him that way? That's what he came to teach us. Now, what did the world mind do? What did Satan mind Satan's mind do with that? Oh, suffering, death, hang on the cross. That's the way to salvation. No, that's Satan's interpretation. That's the world mind's interpretation. He demonstrated exactly what the power of living as the active presence of love, of actually maintaining his human life in the presence of threat. And he reached out and healed the man who was going to have him mercilessly slaughtered, and they couldn't kill him because they couldn't steal his human life. They could destroy his body, which they did pretty effectively, but because they couldn't take away his human life, the active presence of love and compassion in him, they couldn't destroy him. They could only destroy his body, and it took three days to rebuild it. Just a slightly different message than let's go suffer. And he's suffering for you, you know. You drove in the nails with your sins. That whole hogwash story that totally destroys what Yeshua is really here to do and really here to offer.
4: And just offers, it wasn't about
3: your... suffering. It was about the power of living as active presence, love and compassion as a human being.
4: It's all the uh, it's, all, it's all that uh, it brings condemnation and fear and, and, and further perpetuates the whole world problem.
3: You got it. Yeah. Hey, you so, get that little kid uh, in a guilt place? You drove in the nails <laughs> into Jesus's cross? You did it? Yeah. Well, you got that person in fear for life course, if you read through the scriptures, you hear them say well over 300 times, fear not. Yeshua at least 15 times says, fear not, or a variation on those words, but that basic idea. Right. And yet we have people running around. I mean, we have actual ministers who proclaim to be Christian, and, and they're saying, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. Surely you jest. But you hear that at every turn. I mean, all over the country. Because people are living, and here's a perfect example of the difference between actuality and perception. People are living in a perceptual construct for which they have brain cells. And the fear brainwashing... Which the very scriptures that that these people proclaim they're here to stand for, the fear of brainwashing is so deep that it's perpetuated over and over and over again. And he didn't come to teach the power of fear, he came to teach the power of love. Of living and and not love as sexual athletics or, or putting your head on a chopping block and self sacrifice. But to inform people that their actual human life and All you have to do to verify that is hold the newborn child if you tap into the newborn child's essence you know what human life is that's what's so precious that's what needs to be held to regardless of what's happening in the world and for most people there's a generational pattern called self that is based in that hostility and fear And Yeshua said, that self has to go. He said, in order for you being, love and compassion, created essence of the Creator, in order for you to live, that self has got to die. That self has got to go. How do you get rid of that self? There's only one tool to do it with, called forgiveness.
4: forgiveness.
3: And he taught the technology for how to do that. So, what is it that I can't show up for and maintain my human life that's my work now the, the the world mind carbon-based memory adam's mind will say yeah that's what boy what look what they've done boy nobody could show up for lo- as love for that look what they've done look what their problem is look what they need excuse me the person pointing the finger is the one who has the work to do what i can't show up as active present love for is my work. Now, do they have work to do too? Probably, likely, but their work's none of my damn business. If I'm not in my human life, what they're doing, I can't even start to conceive of because I'm in my perceptual constructs rather than in the actuality of being a human being.
4: Been more exposed as I've been more exposed to this work and looking out. There's there's many people out in the, spa- in the space and, and speaking about how to get out of our heads into our hearts. And to me, exactly. I resonate that with this work.
3: That's it exactly.
4: Yes, and so what I'd like to ask is there um, seems to be more and more and more people speaking about this. It may not be in the actual word forgiveness, but along similar lines. Any thought on what it's going to look like? I know many of us struggle just in our daily lives with doing the work. And You have spoken of the tipping point where we shift the world over. Does that mean that ones right now that are at the accident condemning maybe a woman driver, maybe a different person, maybe this, maybe that, that they will have a more quick change of heart versus some of the paths that many of us are taking now and kind of struggling each day with our work? How, yeah, how do you see
3: if, that? if I'm, you know, back about 30 years ago, I started a program in Delray Beach, Florida, at the Unity School there, there was a kindergarten to grade eight school, and it's called. It was called Lessons in Living, and it's actually a program that's still going on now, 30 years later, years after I left there. I was very delighted a few years ago, and I was down there, and it was still going on. The first lesson that we taught when we went in with Lessons in Living, it was kind of a, a takeoff on Laws of Living that we developed for the prison program. The, The first lesson we taught to those kids, like right from kindergarten, was, and it's a line that's in the the worksheet, when I choose love, it wakes up the love in everyone. If I can bring the actual presence of my human life as active, present love forward into the world, then the person who's in the worst trauma, pain, The idea of love has been buried so deeply in their family system that it hasn't been seen for a hundred generations. It's been nothing but war and drugs and alcohol and murder and cheating and suicide. If I can stand strongly enough as the presence of love, because they're made of the same stuff I am, sooner or later, if I'm committed enough, that resonance is going to move in them. you know, And they have no choice about it. You know, If I have a middle C tuning fork and I hit it on a desk and I put it in front of a second middle C tuning fork, that second middle C tuning fork has no choice. It's a simple transfer of energy. The second tuning fork is going to start to move. If enough people stand as the presence of love, because we're all made of the same stuff, if one person is at the accident holding to the place of love everybody's locked into perception. If one person standing the accident as conscious active present love that will tend to start to draw forward a different experience for each person observing the accident. If five of the six people that are standing at the accident are actually functioning as human beings, as the active presence of love, and the sixth person who's in terror and trauma and blaming the person who made the mistake with the accident, or at least that they perceived did, and they're ready to rage and kill them, those other five people standing there as the active presence of love are going to very likely transform that one person's mind. Because each one standing as the presence of love sets up a field that resonates or energizes the true essence of that sixth person. And they're going to have a whole lot better time, a whole lot easier time showing up as love than they would otherwise. That's the, the, the critical mass principle.
4: Yes, that is, that is wonderful. Wonderful. I was going to ask that exact question. How do we bring the people together in the accident? And you just explain that. So when, when we're at a situation like this, holding the place of love is going to help not only myself, we're going to help the others that are involved or in that general place also.
3: Exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's like if I stand as that presence and and look out through the eyes of the active presence of love, knowing who's in front of me, even though they're acting like a raging maniac, I can resonate and at least bring forward the possibility, truth of who they are as love and compassion starts to be energized, and break through their own wall of pain and trauma.
4: The way, that is the way to bring many together, and in doing so, it's going to help everyone's, quote, reality or perception come closer together to actuality. Precisely. Mm-hmm. That, is, that, that would is, be it, exactly.
3: Wow. And each one who steps up to the plate, again, it's like our test tube. I put one drop of the substance in, nothing happens. I put two, I put three, I put ten, I put a hundred, I put five hundred, I put a thousand, I put two thousand, I put three. It wasn't until I got to the ten-thousandth drop, boom, the whole content of the test tube changed. Everything was transformed. That's critical mass. That's the leavening that leavens the whole loaf.
4: And that is a beautiful day when that begins to happen.
3: That's a beautiful day. And that's what we're here. That's what I've been working for the last 50 years to put forward into the world and make available.
4: (laughs) I... I see we're coming up on the end of the show, and I just want to thank you and Jeannie and folks like Kim and the many others that are out there bringing this message forward for all of us.
3: Well, absolutely holding space, my friend, and uh, we visualize your uh, your journey. I understand you're you're coming into a storm area, being safe, and that you're surrounded in light. And that Thank everything you. that you need to handle when you get back uh, back home is uh, is surrounded in the power and the presence of that active love, and that you know that the the light of the creator surrounds you, the actual presence of the love of the creator enfolds you, the power of the creator protects you, and that presence watches over you.
4: Most gracious, much much appreciation to you and. So so grateful for this time and your wonderful intentions, Michael, Genie.
3: All right, my friend, we're breathing with you and accompanying you on your uh, your journey there.
4: Thank you once again and much
3: appreciation. We'll be in touch. All right, take care. Lots of love and blessings. Thank you, buddy, for joining us. Delight to have you with us, and we hold the space you create the best year yet of your eternal life. It is what the world needs, and you have the opportunity to give it.